Are you bored with those video games? Has you finally caught up on all your Netflix shows? Are you tired of Snapchatting with your friends over and over again while you stare at the same four walls? You're no longer in the state of Illinois alone, but now you've entered into the state of insanity. You're about to climb the walls. You might be thinking about jumping up and seeing if you can peel the paint off the ceiling before you go do something crazy. Stay tuned because I have a 25 to 30 minute diversion because you've just tuned in to HistoryCast. This is your host, your whispering wizard, your tour guide through time, Mr. J. Hughes. Travel with me through the sea of time. Let's look for answers, explore salacious rumors, juicy legends, and powerful secrets. Let's get down to the bottom of what it really means to be human. Welcome. Welcome once again, history peeps. You're listening to the History Cast. This is Mr. J. Hughes, and giving you these stories that uh, will hopefully bring to life some of the key aspects of the revolution. All right. I want you today to meet King George III. Now, George is one of the first of his dynasty to be born in England. He's not the first George, of course, but he's the first one born in England. The others were born in Germany. George will be a king who will watch the world radically change before his eyes. He will lose his colonies in a war for American independence, a story of which I'm sure you're well aware of. George will watch one of history's most notorious generals shake the global stage in the beginning of the 19th century. Despite these setbacks, George will weather these storms with a lot of grace and resolve. All of this is quite remarkable if you know that George is dealing with something even worse. He's dealing with type 2 bipolar condition, known as hypnomania. In other words, George is battling insanity. So jumping into the story, England passed very successfully into the hand of George's grandpa, the German elector George I. Okay? His mother died just a few months before the position made was open. Okay, She would have actually been the one in line for the throne. She would have been a Queen Sophia, but it was not to be. So George is coronated in 1714, and he rules England. I mean, altogether, not all that bad. He rules for about 13 years. Now, the problem was that George is not well-liked, because instead of being Scottish... George is German, okay? He's only a quarter English. So the English, again, have a lot of bigots towards, towards George as their king. And to make matters worse, if he spoke English, which we're not entirely sure he did, it was very poor and very little. And so the English people are like, really, you come to rule our country, you can't even speak our language. That's a little fair. So uh, back in Germany, of course, George marries Sophia, and they have two children together. And this is what really kind of made him stink in the eyes of the English, because these stories were definitely circulating. He never loved his wife, Sophia. And uh, once, they had, um, once they had an heir, he decides to seek his love in the arms of mistresses. Lots of mistresses. So, so Sophia is lonely, she's hurt, she's a little vengeful, okay, could be expected. She decides that, well, if he can have a, a mistress, I can have a boyfriend. And so she does. She takes up with a new view, a Swedish adventurer named Philip Konigsmark. Okay, now this this was quite a quite a flame that was lit with Konigsmark. I mean, love was most definitely in the air, okay? Now, um, 
The problem was when he went home, the letters between the two of them got really saucy. Okay, I mean they they were kind of in a torrent, a torrent love affair, and she thought all of this was flying underneath the radar. You know that that George would never, would never catch on to it. But there was a woman in the court. Okay, she was a she was the mistress of George's late father. This actually all happened back in Germany, by the way. This hadn't happened in England, and she caught on. Her name was Clara. And uh, she she decided to say something because she also liked Philip Konigsmark. I guess this guy was he was a real man, okay? Like all the ladies loved him. So um, they get into an argument. Uh, George the First and his wife Sophia, and he actually grabs a hold of her throat and throttles her in front of everyone. So one of you know this story of course circulates. George the First was a spousal abuser, okay? Now. Um, George left bruises on Sophia's neck from the strangulation, and he also left a lot of questions after the display. So Sophia was done. Like She's like, fine, if he's going to treat me like this, I don't need to stay here in Germany. I can go to Sweden and be with my boy Philip. Okay, So she makes this plan to meet up with Konigsmark and escape with him. But then one night, he disappears. Whatever happened to Philip Konigsmark, we don't know. Did George kill him? Did he, instead of killing him, did he have his death ordered? Did he have a quote-unquote accident? Okay, did he slip with his razor in the shower or something like that? Did he decide it was time to take that cruise to the Bahamas and just took a one-way trip and didn't come back? Well, your guess is as good as my guess. We don't really know what happened to him. And Clara, um, of course, who is the woman who turned in Sophia, she gets, she gets accused and executed, okay, for being involved in, in the plot, although she was actually trying to get Philip for herself. And the worst fate, in many ways, was reserved for Sophia Dorothea. Uh, that's the wife of, of King George, okay? She's imprisoned under house arrest, and the marriage is dissolved due to her, her unfaithfulness. So she spends about 30 years in relative isolation, even in loneliness, mostly even from her own children. So she's kind of in this lonely, solitary confinement for 30 years. So this had all happened before George had ever came to England. So obviously, you know, the English hear about this and they're like, really, this guy's a real treat. Can't speak English. He's German. Of course, like I said, they're bigots. And also, he's a spousal abuser and the way he treated his wife and the stuff that's coming from Germany. Uh, these stories aren't, aren't too flattering. So... Now, George, um, George doesn't really get to enjoy his reign very long, okay? Because war is obviously in the background, okay? Now, there are other cousins that are related to the Stuarts, and they have a more sure and clear line to the throne of England. So he has these claimants that are trying to take the throne away from him. And this, these claims were very strong in Scotland because, as you know, the Stuarts were from Scotland, so he has in seven fifteen. There's a there's you know rebellion, and then another one loomed in seventeen nineteen. Okay, so this is a this is a very difficult place for George to be, and he's trying to navigate this and not get his kingdom taken away from him. So Parliament also, as usual, is very deeply divided. This time between what they call the Tories. Now the Tories are were actually Catholic. Uh, for the most part, at this time, and of course, you remember if you study American history, you'll remember the Tories were a huge part of the uh, the group of Americans who supported the crown. Okay, and uh, and the Whigs were mostly of Protestant origin, and so this was this was kind of a nice uh, dividing line. And so the Whigs, uh, the Tories, gather around George the Second. Okay, they don't like George the First, and they think, well, George the Second will treat us better. 
and they gather around him. And this actually strains the relationship because George II and George I don't get along. It probably has to do with the way George I treated his mom, okay? So George I then decides to appoint a head of treasury, okay? He wants to begin to deal with some of the economic needs and concerns of the country. And this is something that in actually... Uh, devolves into kind of a scandal, okay? So the head of treasurer gets into a scandal known as the South Sea Bubble. It's a shady, posy investment scheme, and it blew up and it damaged the English economy pretty badly during the reign of George I. So George I takes, his, takes a trip back to Hanover, and he dies and leaves the throne to his son, George II, who's left to clean up this economic mess. Gee, thanks, Dad. Okay, so... Uh, now, the South Sea bubble was a gigantic, convoluted scam that severely hampered the British economy. There's a lot of moving pieces that go into this, but essentially it left a huge amount of debt that George II was left to pay off. And in fact, here's something interesting, and this is my Mad History headline, 1720 to 2015, that's the headline. So England is still paying that debt three centuries later. In 2015, the head of treasury in England announced that he would be paying some of the debts left over from World War II. He'd be paying debts from the 18th and 19th century, which some, of course, would include debts still accrued from the South Sea bubble. So this was a massive, colossal economic mistake. So they had bonds, of course, that were, were done. And these, some of these bonds, are so, they're paying off, are so old that, Parliament, uh, that the act of Parliament actually would be needed to square up the debt to make sure that these bonds get paid. When their interest rates fell, the English decided now was the time to refinance in 2015 and pay down some of those debts. It just goes to show you how deeply and how long financial decisions that we make as a country can have dramatic effects on not only ourselves, but on our posterity as well. So kind of an interesting interesting concept, okay? All right, so now kind of let's go back to the story here. So George II is his... Uh, is ascends to the throne, and um, despite his father's dislike for him, he still ends up becoming the successor. Now, like his father, he was the uh, he and his eldest son did not get along with one another. Okay, he had trouble uh, because his interest in Germany as well as England brought him at war with the French in 1743. This is a common thing. The French and the English don't they just don't it just doesn't work out between them. Okay, and he is now. Um, he now makes him the last British monarch to fight while in office. So George II actually puts on his duds and he goes out to war with his with his own men. This is the last time a king will go out. Now, George III always said if Napoleon showed up, he would put on the duds. But, you know, George III was, you know, he's a little shaky going on in his mental faculties, okay? During his reign, England becomes more closely attached to their claims in India and in Canada, and uh, there was, um, he starts to bring a little stability to England, even though there are claimants and still pretenders saying, I should be on the throne, not him, because I have a better claim. That kind of stuff happened, but he still, he still kind of manages very nicely. And so George, uh, George has some issues, and he's going to get more intensely involved with the American colonies. We'll talk about them in a minute, what's been going on in America. And George is a kind of interesting character, so this guy's death is very unusual, okay? So he dies on the can, okay? It's a great story, and I gotta tell you. So he rose up early in the morning, had a drink of chocolate, had a chocolate drink, he went and he sat on the can, moments later, a crash is, is heard, okay? He's found on the floor, 
uh, next to the toilet, of course, he's, he's gone. He has this aortic dissection, which is a heart problem, okay? Now, I mean, what a way to go, right? Crazy. So he succeeded not by his son, because him and his son don't get along. He succeeded by his grandson. But in his reign, he starts to see new problems in the world. The colonies that they, England has been holding, they've now started to misbehave. So England had turned their eyes away from the colonies, leaving them to govern themselves. And so while England was dealing with its own civil war and problems with succession, the colonies were just kind of doing their own little thing over there, and it was working out for them. So they... Um, uh, they had been not only experiencing this, this this level of autonomy, but they also were becoming very inundated with the, with Enlightenment material, you know, stuff like Locke and Hobbes that are really ask, making them ask questions about, do we really need a king? Is a king a necessity? Is that an important thing? Could we and can we govern ourselves? So now, as George II kindness begins to settle England down, and brings them stability, he begins to look towards the colonies. Now, there's a lot more going on on the American side of this, um, and I don't really want to spend a lot of time going through the American Revolution. I will say, those of you that are my students, if you haven't taken American history already, then you can take it with me if you like. I'd love to have you in class, and I can kind of fill you in and, and, and put that together. I'll be offering, I think, a section next year if things go well. So they, uh, the needless to say, the French, the the Americans get into the French Indian Wars. Okay, and this begins to cause a lot of big issues, and George II dies in the middle of this conflict, and he leaves, you know, this mess to be sorted out by his grandson George III. So George III became becomes king of England in this in 1760. He's 22 years old. He's actually, besides his own, you know, mental stability, he's he's a nice guy. Okay, he's very plain and dull. He always dresses like a farmer. Uh, he doesn't like to dress in, in his fancy does like you might see on the on the slides that I've sent you. Uh, he drinks very little. He loves his wife. He's very faithful to her. And in fact, she must have loved him as well. And they had 15 kids to prove it. So, you know, it worked out. Uh, George is tall and his eyes have kind of a very sharp quality, like a sharp bluish gray. Um, George is a music fanatic. He plays the violin, the piano. He loves kids. Um, and, well, I mean, he had 15 of them, so obviously he loves kids. Um, he's not an idiot. Some historians kind of make him out like he's a dullard. He's not a dullard, okay? I mean, this guy uh, was, was studying astronomy, architecture. He loved reading. He was fascinated with clocks. Is that a, is that a German thing? I, I like clocks, too. It's kind of cool. Um, so, however, he could be stubborn. He could be very strong-willed and decided upon a course for the colonies to bring these rebellious rascals back in order. Because during the French-Indian Wars, he just has some difficulties when things come to a close. He thinks that, hey, look, we didn't benefit from going to war. You benefited from going to war. So you should pay more taxes to pay us back because we're already paying off debt for, in his case, from great-grandpa, okay? So we don't need your debt piled on top of it. You live there, you benefited, you pay extra taxes. The colonists, however, think, well, wait, wait a minute. We're British citizens and we shouldn't have to pay more for it just because we're living across the ocean. That's not really fair. We, we, we all pay the same thing. Furthermore, you can't just pass new taxes because uh, they have no one in Parliament to represent their interest. 
okay? So basically, yeah, nobody's there to vote on our behalf. Everybody's obviously going to vote with you because you're all over there in England and you don't care about us and you think we're a bunch of monkeys over here. So, um, so the king was in no mood. He sends in soldiers and these soldiers have to be kept in American homes. Starts imprisoning others with mock trials and, and uh, this gets kind of out of hand really quickly. And he starts pursuing courses to, to be implementing martial law and heavy taxation and different acts, the Stamp Act, the Sugar Act, the Quartery Act. And these acts that start to come at them start pelting the Americans with all types of new taxes. So the Americans are convinced that, look, this isn't the king. This is Grenville, uh, his, his, uh, his right-hand man, and Townshend. They're the ones causing all this trouble. It's Parliament. So they think if we, if we petition the king, if we let him know that we, we, want, to, uh, we want to make this work, then maybe he'll have, he'll, his heart will kind of change. So he said, they sent him a petition called the Olive Branch Petition. And, of course, this is what they wanted. Funny story. They wanted no taxation without representation, no imprisonment without just cause, no quartering of soldiers in their homes, no declarations of martial law. Wow, where have I heard this story before? It sounds so familiar. I don't know. Okay, so this is what these guys won. So the peace talks fail, and at the head of this is George Washington. Okay, they know they're going to break with England. It becomes inevitable in 1776, and Thomas Jefferson uh, writes the fated document uh, that will change the world. Okay, now George Washington is given command of the army. Washington is kind of an interesting character. So first of all, he shows up at the Continental Convention and he's dressed in his old military uniform, um, and of course he acts like he's shocked when they offered him the job to lead the army, dude. You showed up in your uniform. I think you knew that was coming. I think you expected it, okay? Um, but they uh, they think, hey, he's the right guy. Now, he's won some skirmishes. During the French-Indian Wars, Washington had made kind of a name for himself, but he never actually won a battle. His claim to fame was not winning a battle, but not dying in battle. So during the French-Indian Wars, the English thought that everybody on this side of the ocean was you know, a monkey. And Washington, uh, Washington had actually been involved in skirmishes and he had written a report that was sent to the king and it got published in the papers. One of the things he said is, I heard the, I heard the whizzing of bullets and there was something charming in the sound. Okay. So the English the, and the, the upper class, the ruling class laughed and scoffed and goes, yeah, he obviously wasn't in a real battle or he wouldn't have thought that was so charming. But he's, you know, he's famous in England. People love this kind of stuff there. So, uh, he comes in and they decide, okay, look, we'll send over a real general. They send over the famed General Braddock. Okay, so Braddock and Washington go out into battle. But the problem is that the British want to roll in and roll everybody out in a line and stand in line and fire cannons and, you know, mow each other down until the last man standing. But the Americans have learned to fight differently. Because the American Indians don't fight like that. They hide in trees. They 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 come up on people quickly and, you know, overtake them. So... Um, so they get out to battle and Braddock severely miscalculates what's going on. And it turns into a bloodbath very quickly. And Braddock is killed. Now, Washington is not killed. Okay. Now, that's his claim to fame. When he gets back, there's a, he has a, a vest that has, I think, anywhere, and I don't remember the exact number. I'm sorry, not off the top of my head. Somewhere between five to eight bullet holes in his vest. 
So he come pretty close. Well, immediately that Siemens his legend. Look at this. Our guy, our American backwater bumpkin, was better than one of the best British generals, General Braddock. So he has little experience other than that. He's ill-equipped, and he has almost no formal training. His schooling was pretty poor. You know, what could go wrong, right? So he thought of himself kind of as this American Cromwell, right? He's gonna, people thought, also thought of him the same way. And by 1778, um, he is facing really, really serious conditions. Half of his army is either killed, captured, froze to death, dead from disease, or just flat out went home and resigned. We would have never made it, guys. Except Lafayette. Lafayette, ladies and gentlemen, is a total Jedi. Now, Lafayette is from France. He's fabulously wealthy. This guy's loaded to the gills, okay? He's kind of a cool guy. Like, I really like Lafayette. He's kind of interesting. So his father dies, his father's died during the French-Indian Wars at the hands of the British. So he, you know, not crazy about the British, but he's, he's over it, okay? Now one night in Germany, he's, uh, well actually he's in England, um, he is meeting with the English Duke of Gloucester, who is the brother of George III. Now the Duke, even though he's the brother of George III, he doesn't like his brother very well. He's kind of ticked because he recently got married and his brother didn't approve of the spouse. So at supper... One night, he says he, he makes some offhand comments about how the Americans are fighting uh, for fighting his brother, and he thinks it's you know a great idea, and that his brother hasn't been treating the Americans right. So this really fires up Lafayette. He needs this patriotism, this adventure. So he goes back to France, and he asks the king to send him. Of course, Louis XVI says no. He doesn't want to get involved. He doesn't want to take off the English. He's got enough problems. We'll talk about his problems in future episodes, but... But uh, Lafayette slips around the authorities, buys his own ship, and basically sails to America. Because he can do that, because he's loaded. All right. Now, he's 19 years old. He has no battle experience. He barely speaks English. But he's totally in the game, okay? He once said, when I first heard of America, I loved her. When I heard of her struggle, I longed to bleed for her. Well, he got his wish, because at the Battle of Brandywine, Lafayette was shot in the leg. and showed his bravery. In time, he starts to become a bridge between the Americans and the French, and this is what saves the American Revolution. Without his friendship, we could have never fought off the British without the help of the French. Um, later, he was even given honorary citizenship. Um, in fact, one of his sons was named George Washington Lafayette. So as you know, the story, which is very familiar, old hat to you, America does win at the Battle of Yorktown. The war is over, America's free, and it's riddled in debt. All right. And the, but that debt was little in comparison with France. So France has got involved. They provided soldiers, they provided ships, they provided lots of things, hoping the Americans can pay them back. But the Americans are young. Their government's young. Their economy is young. And so it's going to be a little more difficult. Now... The, the, the war um, uh, it, the war is going on and it's it presents something of a kind of a, an oxymoron of something that just shouldn't be kind of like a sweet and sour or a cold and hot kind of a thing how do how do French people pay taxes that support the American Revolution which upholds the ideas of the Enlightenment when the Enlightenment is happening in France? 
are started in France, and they're still being ruled by a despot. Okay? They just fought, ladies and gentlemen, to win independence for a country while their own is in a soft form, and perhaps depending on your class, a hard form of tyranny. So how can they set colonies free, but they have, they've maintained a tight grip on their own colonies in Haiti and other places around uh, the Caribbean? Now, think about this. They had their own wars and territory grabs to fund. For example, only 10 years prior, they had annexed an island off of Italy as a territory of France. The cost of this and the lavish lifestyle of Louis and his wife uh, burdened France and was beginning to show cracks and break it, in breaking it. Now the year, uh, the island was the 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 island was known as Corsica was annexed. There was a little boy who was born in Corsica. He was seven years old when the war in America broke out. His Italian family would never dream of what happens next in their new country. What happens next in the new country of France would mark this boy for history, and would mark this boy for greatness. Okay, that's where I've got. If you're one of my students, make sure you do your homework on the slides. Uh, we will talk again, and we'll start looking at what's going on in France in the next episode.